Thank you, Tim. And good morning to all of you here in the room. What can I say but well done? Coming out in this weather to listen to me, uh, a little nasty thought entered my mind that we take the offering before I preach because I better make it worth your while. <laughs> yeah, my name is Peter, and you guys who are out there somewhere, if you're in Cape Town, it's probably raining where you are. If you're somewhere else, you may be basking in the sunshine, but we'd be really glad to have you here. We welcome you uh, online. Sorry about the minor glitch during the worship, but we trust that we're going to stay online for you guys during the the rest of this morning. As Tim has said, we are talking out of James, or in James, um, and this is the next section, and we're dealing with true wisdom. And the kind of sub uh, subheading is wisdom for community life, wisdom that helps us stick together and work together and be effective together. Before we start, um, just a quick disclaimer, and, and I want to introduce it by telling you about a friend of mine, and some of you here will uh, know about this friend. Uh, his name is Emmanuel Nkomo. Uh, he was terminally ill uh, with kidney failure a number of years ago, needed a kidney transplant, and I raised funds from all over the place, but in particular from the Seniors Life Group here in this congregation, and from Common Ground uh, itself, uh, a significant donation was made, and he is up and preaching and still going for it. And he says, God has given me a, a, a second chance. He's an evangelist. And I, I just want to tell a little story about him because it's my introduction to James and it's to put all of you at ease. When I think about him in today's context, I'm remembering him as an evangelist preaching in the dark in remotest part of Zambia with big floodlights uh, shining on the congregation, and he and I are at the back here, so they can't even see us because the lights are in their eyes, but he is, he's a, he's a real evangelist, he's about, I don't know, six foot four and big, and he socks it to them, and uh, he, he goes straight for the jugular, he tells them about their witchcraft and their immorality and this and this, and then he says, I'm preaching on you, and I'm preaching on you, and so today, I just want to tell you I'm preaching on you, whoops, because this portion of James is one that uh, makes a preacher uneasy, because it starts out by saying, let not many of you aspire to be teachers, because <laughs> you'll have the greater condemnation, so um, you guys can relax while I preach at me, but only for the first verse, because after that, the roles are reversed back to normal, and I'm going to get you. <laughs> Father, I just want to thank you so much. We can joke about this, but we have been singing about amazing grace. And Lord, whether it's Emmanuel and Coma really socking it to them or me joking a bit here this morning, Lord, we are so grateful for Jesus Christ and that he, so full of grace and truth, came to die for our sins so that we might have eternal life. And so, Lord, that is, that is the most important thing. And Lord, sometimes when we think about James, we, we think of the law, we think of rules, but actually, when we dig a bit deeper, we see here is a guy who's been on a, an amazing journey, and in many ways, it's like our journey. And he, he was growing in his understanding of who Jesus is, and then growing dramatically when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. And his, his teaching is rooted in his 
Old Testament Jewishness, the law, but also in this amazing grace. He was a bridge for so many of those people. And I pray this morning, he will be a bridge for us as well. So Lord, we pray you will just anoint your word and help us to understand what James is saying to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the kind of um, subheading for today is true wisdom knows the tremendous power of words. Okay, so we're talking about how important our words are. Now, James Monaghan gave us a bit of an intro to this uh, earlier on in the series. In fact, he poached some of the, the illustrations out of this one, but that's fine because I, I want to focus on some other areas and it gives me a, a bit of time to do that. Speaking of which, I don't have one of those fancy watches like Luke, but I better keep this one visible. Otherwise, the second group will be here before I finished. Okay, so I, I want to start by reading from James uh, chapter 3, and we're going to read right through from verse 1 to verse 12. That's what we're looking at today. So, Angie, if you can just run through the slides as I go th through them. The tremendous power of words. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you, Peter should become teachers in the church, for, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge chip, ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness. I'm talking to you guys now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm supposed to watch my tongue, not say things like that. <laughs> Corrupting your entire body, it can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is, a restless, and e it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in me, in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, that's not right. Does a spring of water bubble out of, with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Okay. So the message is, shape up and control your tongues. This is the law of the Medes and the Persians. No, of, of James and the Old Testament. The good news is James went through a process of discovering what grace is all about. And he's writing, if you remember from the first verses of the book of James, he's writing to the children of Israel scattered abroad all over the place. And they were all over Mediterranean world, uh, from North Africa, Middle East, uh, Southern Europe, they were scattered, many of them, because they'd been through invasions hundreds of years before. 
There were uh, many Jews gathered back, living in Jerusalem in the temple. But James is writing to all those who are scattered everywhere. So he's using a shotgun. He's kind of shooting out there, not even knowing exactly who is going to read this letter. He's writing to people who have lived under the law. And so he's making a connection with them. But he's wanting to lead them from there into this amazing grace that we sang about this morning. So I think a lot of people, when they read or hear James, think, oh, no, more rules to live by. And he does mention the rules and, and, and so on because he's connecting with those who are under the law, and he's trying to lead them on to Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law. Paul tells us that. It gives us an amazing foundation about how the perfect life could be lived, but Jesus on the cross recognizes that we fail to fully live it. And that's why he died for our sins, so that we could have a fresh start, a brand new life in him. So are you okay with that kind of overview of what we're trying to understand as we read this book of James? And uh, as I said, it already has spoken to me, and um, I'm hoping now we're going to be speaking to all of us. So um, he starts with that first chapter talking about teachers and that we should be careful about teaching and uh, that, that we're going to be judged more strictly. And so it's, that's why I says it, said it speaks to me because teaching is such a great responsibility and teaching the word of God is what it's talking about. So when, he, when James is talking about teachers, the context is not um, the primary school or the secondary school or the university. It, they were teachers of the law, the Old Testament. They were rabbis. That's what teacher means. And it's really interesting. Um, I was just looking up this word teacher, and it, it's, it, it's related to all sorts of other words like um, doctrine and teachings. Uh, so there are a lot of uh, derivatives have come, but what it's talking about here is the rabbis. And it's very interesting. Most of the references in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, to teachers, the specific Greek word there, uh, refer to Jesus. There are a handful of others that refer to other teachers, those who would call themselves rabbi, but Jesus was the ultimate rabbi, the ultimate teacher, and um, he, he wants us who follow after him when we teach to teach in his name, to teach his word, and teach under the anointing of his Holy Spirit, and that's why it's such a responsibility, and that's also why it's a responsibility on us who hear. So we need to listen to the word. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to um, enlighten and empower that word. And then we need to let that word guide our lives. So there's, there's this really interesting thing in, in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, in Jesus' day, where his disciples are following him, and they are the ones that recognize that he is their rabbi, their teacher. And that was what happened in those days. Um, more recently, like in the last couple of thousand years, um, rabbis have been ordained. But in those days, they were more recognized by a cohort of people who would follow them because they listened to and believed and were excited by and encouraged by this person's teaching. And they would say, you are my rabbi. And we know Jesus called the 12, but he also had a whole bunch of people who followed after him. Um, in particular, there's a major subgroup that we sometimes miss, and that is what 
are called in the New Testament the women. Um, <laughs> some of them are named, <laughs> but I guess the disciples are called the disciples or the apostles, so they were gathered together collectively. Um, so there was this amazing group of women who took care of Jesus' needs as he was on the road preaching. So there's this band of people who recognized him as their rabbi. I just want to read from um, John chapter 3, and it's, it's uh, from verse 1 to 12, so there's a fair section there. And I just kind of was thinking about rabbis, and I thought this is the way to go. So I, I didn't put it on the PowerPoint. Sorry, guys out there, and you guys, I've got a real Bible. You don't have to look on the screen. Uh, so John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees, which tells us something. He was one of those that doubted and campaigned against Jesus, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so we know where he's from. He's, he's one of those really educated guys. He would have been considered a major teacher, a rabbi in Israel, and he comes to Jesus by night. This tells us an awful lot about him. He's interested in this Jesus, but the rest of his team on the Sanhedrin and in the temple are clearly against him, but he's more open-minded. And I want us to bear that in mind, that Jesus came to open our eyes, to help us to see, to let the light shine. But the effects take time to work out. And this guy eventually became a believer. And I think it all started here. We don't know when exactly he believed, but he was interested enough to go and start digging. If you're like that here today, if you've come not knowing what you believe about Jesus, I would encourage you to continue digging, and we'll tell you about a couple of resources that can help you to find out more about Jesus afterwards. But he comes by night because he doesn't want his mates on the Sanhedrin to know that he's been to visit Jesus. So um, this is a secret mission. And he, he says, um, we know that you are a teacher. That's that word, rabbi. And interesting, he addresses him as teacher. We know that you are a teacher. Isn't that amazing? Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You just lost me, says Nicodemus. What are you talking about? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again? Or born when he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? He really didn't get it, eh? Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit bringing people a spiritual second birth, waking up the Spirit. The body was born years ago, but the Spirit has been dormant, dead in the sins that we inherited from Adam and that we compounded ourselves. And now Jesus is saying, you can be born again. And interesting, he, Jesus now addresses him and he said, answered him. He said, 
Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So we have here this man, Nicodemus, who Jesus calls the teacher in, in Israel. When Nicodemus first addresses him, he says, you're a teacher. It's different in the Greek. Well, I guess it is in the English as well. There's a big difference between a member of congregation and the lead elder. Okay, there's more emphasis with that the being put in front. So, a um, bit of a play on words here by Jesus and a little bit of sarcasm. You, you say, I'm a teacher, and you are the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things. These are foundational. If you don't understand these things, you can never have eternal life. And you are the teacher of Israel. Implied is, what hope is there for Israel if you're the guy that's going to... No, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think Jesus is being that rude. He was challenging Nicodemus that all that stuff, all that education, all that training by which you became a teacher of the law is not going to help you. And that's why we who teach have to be careful how we do it because what, what Jesus is saying, you can only be born again by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who comes upon you. And I think by implication, you can only be a teacher in this modern sick world of ours if you understand the amazing gospel, the amazing grace, and the Holy Spirit is helping you. I would not want to be doing what I'm doing without the help of the Holy Spirit. And I would not want to be walking in the shoes of any believer in this difficult world without the Holy Spirit helping me to navigate. Okay, so can you see Nicodemus is on a journey? He thought he knew it all. And maybe some of us here thought we knew it all. We had our lives figured out. And now we are beginning to realize we don't have Jesus in our lives. And we actually need, like Nicodemus, to be born of the Spirit. Okay, so I said at the beginning that um, James stole my thunder on some of the following verses with the, the horses and the ships and the fires and all that stuff. But I just think this foundation is pivotal. This little one verse or two verses is so important to understanding James, to understanding what he is trying to say and what Jesus was doing when he was there uh, on, on this earth. So you must be born again. Um, the interesting thing is that James... He is the half-brother of Jesus, we believe. He's called his brother. Um, uh, in, in most African cultures, you have um, uncle fathers and brother cousins. If you are aware of those extended family things where you can be a cousin, but you're still my brother because we're all from the same clan. So it's not certain that James was a step-brother or a half-brother, not a step-brother of Jesus, but it's the most obvious interpretation. Either way, he saw himself as being related to him and it's interesting, um, he, he went on this journey from being a younger sibling of Jesus. And I mentioned last week that that must have been quite difficult. You know, there's always sibling rivalry in any family. And you have got this older brother who I guess in most ways you would look up to because actually he was perfect. He never sinned. Who has an older brother like that? Apart from my young brother. <laughs> Sorry. 
that tangled out of control again. <laughs> so um, James is on a journey that I think really we mirror. We start out kind of hearing about Jesus. We don't really know him. He is not our savior. He's not our brother. But in the process of accepting his forgiveness for our sins, we become brothers and sisters, part of the families, heirs with Christ. Wow. And so James, who was part of the family already, and, but he's got this irritatingly perfect big brother. I'm sure he must have thought that sometimes. Because you can be sure James needed to be sorted out and disciplined sometimes by his parents. Well, what about him? Um, I'm sure you, any, all of you guys who've got children, all of you who grew up in a home, you will know that this kind of stuff goes on. So it was really interesting because here his big brother, apparently from the things he's hearing, he's, seems to be claiming to be the Messiah. And how can that be possible? He's just my big brother. So James is steeped in the Old Testament. He knew the law of Israel, and he could not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So, um, yeah, we, we see this, this conflict between James and, and, um, and Jesus. So, in, in verse, the verses we just read, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. In, indeed, we, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So this is what James is saying. And he says, we, we all battle. And particularly the, the issue we have is controlling our tongues. Um, and so he's kind of highlighting this problem. And I'm sure a lot of it is because he had this problem. I'm sure he and his siblings discussed this big brother they heard the stories about what Jesus was doing, and yet they didn't believe he was the Son of God. They just couldn't get their heads around that. So um, if we read Matthew um, 8, sorry, 28, verse 19 to 20, this is the Great Commission where Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So we seem to have a, con a contradiction here. James says, don't be teachers. Jesus says to disciples, to all of them, all of us, go and make disciples and teach them the things that I have taught you. Okay, so we, we've got this tension as we so often do in the Bible, where one verse seems to say one thing, another one says another. And so Jesus says, go and teach. And James says, don't be teachers. Okay, so it's, it's interesting, and I think it's kind of like um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, where we talk about a prophet who, man, when he speaks and says, thus says the Lord, we better listen. And we talk about the gift of prophecy, where someone comes in church on a Sunday and gives a prophetic word, a word of encouragement here. The one is kind of for the local congregation. The other one is for the nation or the nations. There's a big difference between a prophet and the gift of prophecy. Likewise, I was talking about Emmanuel and Como, who is an evangelist. That's what he does. That's what he is. But we are told to go and evangelize the whole world. 
So we are to share, to talk to our friends about what we believe about Jesus. But we don't preach uh, uh, the way Emmanuel does. I can't preach the way he does. I'm preaching on you. Um, doesn't come naturally for me. I'd rather welcome you into my sphere than chase you out of it. <laughs> so can you see there are, are different levels of application of these ministering gifts? But all of us are supposed to be participating in getting the word out. Okay, so if Jesus Christ and his kingdom is the major focus of our lives, and he it should be, then it changes the way we do life in every way. Jesus wants us to be radically changed from the inside by the Holy Spirit. And when we get onto the rudders and the bridles and so on, they are indicating or seem to indicate that with a small effort, we can control our lives. The truth is, the small effort is there because of this little helper we've got here, the rudder or the bridle that assists us. The key issue is, which way do we point the horse? Which way do we direct the ship? Which choice do we make? Because when we make the right choice and step out, turn out in that direction, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will walk in blessing, in favor, in success, in um, extending the kingdom of God. It's not our great effort that turns the ship or the horse around. It's our great Holy Spirit who helps us when we fully surrendered our lives to Jesus. Can you see this is not the law? This is amazing grace. Help me, Jade. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it wonderful? That not only has Jesus died to save us, but he sent the Holy Spirit to help us so that we can be more effective and choose the right direction. And when we do and take that first step in the right direction, which is easy, he helps us with the long haul, which is hard. Okay, so um, I, I am not coming here this morning with the Ten Commandments of the New Testament. I'm coming here to say we we. We teach and we receive under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to do the things that Jesus is calling us to do. We need to have ears that are open uh, to hear the word, whether it's being preached or taught. And most importantly, when we're reading our Bibles and praying, because even some of the teachers out there are not teaching straight. Okay? Um, and this is where I have to quake in my boots a little bit because if I misteach the scripture and you swallow it, I'm leading you guys astray. So it's, it is a real responsibility to stand up here, but it's also a responsibility to hear the words. First of all, uh, to check them out for yourself. And that's why we have that, that journey through James, the booklet, so that you can study for yourself. Think about what's been said. Apply this to your life. And if, if Luke or I or whoever's preaching has said something you don't understand or disagree with, then come and talk about it. Let's make sure we're all walking together in the direction Jesus is pointing us. 
you all know of situations where either pastors or whole congregations have gone off the rails and jumped off the cliff. It's terrifying. So we, we, are, we are so blessed, but with that blessing goes this amazing responsibility because we are the ones who then become the light shining out there in this community, in this world of ours. Okay, so can you see James is actually hinting at the gospel in all of this and really encouraging us that we need to be guided by the Holy Spirit in all of this. Okay, so um, I want to go on to the next slide, number nine there. James' learning curve. just want to talk to, this, to you about this a little bit. Matthew 13, verse 54 and 55, talking about Jesus. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brother James, who I believe wrote this, this letter, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, these are all the, the siblings. So um, there are some who don't believe that um, Mary had any more kids. Uh, personally, I think in, in all Reformed churches, most Protestant churches believe that the, this, this clearly shows that um, it was a normal family with one super normal firstborn because his father was different from theirs. That's why we call him the half-brother. So, um, interesting, he's in Nazareth, which is where uh, Joseph and Mary came from when they headed out to Bethlehem. It's where they returned to with the baby Jesus or the young Jesus. And when he preached there, like James, who found it hard to believe that his big brother was the Messiah, the locals, who'd seen him growing up, running on the streets and falling down and scraping his knee and whatever things happened to him as a little boy growing up. They saw all of that. They knew him. How can you say this is the Messiah? They, all the Jews believed the Messiah would be born in a palace somewhere and be a king and a political and military leader and not one of the kids that run barefoot in our streets. That, that just They couldn't get their heads around that. And so they really battled. So this is James's learning curve. He was hearing these things, and, and he couldn't believe it either. Then in Matthew 12, verse 46 to 50, Jesus' mother and brothers stood outside. So Jesus had been preaching and teaching inside, had been doing miracles, had been a whole sequence of ministry, and they asked to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brother are standing outside, and they want to speak to you. Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Put yourself in James' shoe, hearing that report. <laughs> these are my brothers and sisters, but you guys, who I grew up with, oh, well, I don't know about you. Why? Because they're not yet doing the will of God. So they're not yet part of the family. In fact, no one was yet um, yet to be born again. So that was still a um, forthcoming attraction that was going to apply to all these disciples and apply to James too because he clearly became a believer and a major spokesperson for Jesus. So just um, wonderful things that were, were coming. But right now, at, the, at this time, uh, it was really hard for them to, to see this. They, they were battling with being the family of Jesus couldn't see 
that this one was the Messiah. Of course, Mary knew, but we're told she hid these things in her heart. Can you imagine what would happen if she told them all? I don't think they would have believed. And that would have been more of a stumbling block. They would have said, our mother's crazy as well, not just our brother. So um, they waited. (laughs) Mary and Joseph and Jesus for the Holy Spirit to reveal who he was. Okay, so uh, in John chapter 7, verses 2 to 5, the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go up to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Okay, very clear there. That these, this family, these, these brothers didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And that's why they were goading him. And they were saying, well, you, you want to have a high public office? Be the Messiah. Um, well, go up to Jerusalem and show yourself. No one in Israel is established in this kind of a position except in Jerusalem. Go, and if, if you want to be lifted up, go, go to Jerusalem. Did Jesus want to have a high office? Be the chief rabbi? The high priest? Well, yes and no. He was all of those things. He was the rabbi, the, the master of Israel. He was our chief high priest, but he was also the Lamb of God. And when he did finally go up to Jerusalem, that's what he went as. The Lamb of God to die on the cross when he appeared in heaven before the Father with his own blood and put it before the, the throne room in, in, in heaven to demonstrate that he had died for our sins, then he was acting as our high priest. So um, they were goading him to go up and, yeah, go on, go and show them if, you, if you're so great. Go and let's see what the people in Jerusalem do. Because they knew what the Pharisee had, had to say about him and they knew he would, would not be welcome as he wasn't when he finally did go up for that Passover. Okay, so... James has been going through all of these things um, in, in Matthew 23, verses 5 to 10. Everything the scribes and Pharisees do is for show. They love to sit in, at the head of the table at banquets and in the seat of honor in the synagogues. They love to, to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi, master. Don't let anyone call you rabbi. For you have only one teacher, one rabbi. And all of you are equal brothers and sisters. And don't let anyone call you teacher. For you have only one teacher, the Messiah. Okay, so that's what, what Jesus said. And that's why I said it's a, it's a terrifying thing to come up and teach. Um, and Paul does say in Ephesians that there are specific ministries that are a gift to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists pastors, and teachers. So there is a gift to the church of people who are anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to teach, but it's something that should be done with care and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So we've already seen that those who teach will be judged more strictly, and James says we all make many mistakes, talking about himself and all those who teach. And so that is true. So 
there is a place for all teachers who preach on this first verse to examine themselves. And I've been thinking about that quite a bit, preparing for this. That, wow, I'm thinking about some of the things I taught long ago. And thought, mm, <laughs> how good was that? So we, we need to, just an odd thing, first looking puzzled. <laughs> Not a big deal, babe. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's waiting for a serious confession to come out. No. <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's a responsibility. That's, I guess, what I'm saying. So we need to have spirit-controlled tongues. And that's probably where I have the most problem. Um, I can be flippant. I love to joke. And uh, sometimes that can cut across a serious moment because I suddenly and, and something pops into my head and comes straight off my tongue. And that's the problem. Um, when our tongues are free to do what they want um, and we're not speaking um, seriously and considerately. Okay, so I want to move on. I hope we've got this first couple of verses, the, the importance of teaching, both for those who teach and for those who receive, and the fact that all of this teaching, James is actually recognizing the fact that he has been on a journey. And he... He couldn't believe in Jesus. I've heard so many people say, I just can't believe that. And I've heard people say, I can't believe the Bible really means this. Because there are lots of hard verses in the Bible that we struggle with. Why? Because they cut across our lifestyle, our beliefs, what we think life should be like. And our responsibility is to read the word, ask the Holy Spirit what it's saying, and then apply it to our lives and allow it to change us. And how many of you know change is painful and difficult? But it's a process that starts when we accept Jesus as Savior, when we're born again, as Nicodemus heard, and then it continues. So we, we don't expect perfection coming out of one half chapter of James, but what we are aiming at is a fresh resolution to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to continue to change us. And that there is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A litmus test that we carry around in our mouths that enables us to see how we're doing. So when we find the wrong things coming out of our mouths, as I'm sure we all do from, from time to time, we need to pause and say, where did that come from? And what would Jesus think about what I just said? Okay, so um, we need spirit-controlled tongues. So James then moves on and he talks about the positive act- aspects of our tongues because we have this amazing gospel. We have the opportunity to bring life and light through the things we say, but we can also do negative things. And at the end, he says the problem is we do both. And the aim of this morning's session, I guess, is to maximize the positive work of the tongue and to minimize and, if possible, kill the the negative stuff that comes out of these mouths of ours. So James goes on to say, we can make a large horse go wherever we we want by means of a small bit in in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, Sorry, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. When you're preaching the gospel, man, when I listen to Emmanuel and Como speaking, 
it just inspires me. It's just simple, straightforward, and it ends with repent, and so many people do, and they give their life to Jesus. Demons are cast out. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. It's chaos in the dark out there in western Zambia where witchcraft has kept people under control. And you see something amazing happening, and it, it just is marvelous when we see the words coming out of someone's mouth that just change people's lives. I've heard him saying some quite different things as well. And I've heard most of you saying different things. Um, we all have our great moments, grand speeches, and we also have the times when we sp slip up with our tongues. Okay, in Acts chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, here are the names of those who were present in the upper room. This is on waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, waiting for the day of Pentecost, and it's a list of all the people who are there. And um, the very last verse, I'm not going to read all the names there. They're on the screen if you want to go through them. But it ends up, along with all of these disciples were there, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus, including, guess who? James, waiting for the Holy Spirit. Woohoo! This Old Testament law promoter has had his eyes opened by the crucifixion of his half-brother and by the resurrection. Can you imagine how he felt when he was killed? Go up to Jerusalem if you think you're a big deal. Go and, go and show them. You think you're the Messiah? Go. And there he is on the cross. Whoa. What did James think then? And, and especially having told him, go on, go and show yourself. And then when he rose again, wow, amazing. And he wasn't going to let go now. He was there in the upper room. We don't know exactly what happened in those 40 days before Jesus ascended up into heaven, but we know that he spoke to his brother James. And I don't know what they talked about, but I'm sure a lot of these issues that James had were straightened out, probably all of them. And he now knew that he is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord God. Wow, his vocabulary changed. We saw that last week. Just amazing what happened in James's life. And what he's saying here is, I want the same thing for you. Because you guys are just like me, talking to his uh, brothers and sisters in Israel scattered all over the, the Roman world, but also talking to us today in South Africa, and especially our friends who don't know Jesus, and maybe some of us here who haven't come to know Jesus. Okay. Next verse in James 3, verse, second part of verse 5. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corruption, corrupting the entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Wow. Strong, strong words. And what it's saying there is if our tongue is not bridled, if we're not spirit-directed, spirit-controlled, if we allow the enemy a chance to get into our lives, we can find ourselves saying terrible things. And we all know that, don't we? When you have a moment where you let rip um, because of what just happened and you feel quite justified too. Um, and James is saying there's a fire that starts in hell that causes these things. 
And if you think about it, Satan came into the Garden of Eden, and what did he do? He tempted them to do something that seemed good, but it was against the clear instruction of God. But he made the Word of God seem like an option, and this is actually the better way. And they fell for it. And guess what happened next? Adam blamed this woman you gave me. It was her fault. Now, none of you husbands have ever done that. I've done it once or twice, I'm sure. <laughs> the witnesses here who can probably reel off hundreds of times where I blamed her for what I did. So um, James is warning us here that this, this thing needs to be controlled. And if you think about it, what does Satan want to do by causing us to flare up and to multiply the perceived hurt or injury or injustice that's been done to us? Satan multiplies that. And when our defense comes out of our mouths in anger, it's magnified and it's destructive. And that's what James is warning us about. Saying, be careful. Bring that under control. And if you just look at the world we live in and what, what, what his goal is, Satan wants to, to destroy everything God created. And he starts with the beginning, the man and the woman. He tried to put a division between husband and wife there, and he's still busy trying and many times succeeding in doing that, causing devastation to our families. And so many people who've been through the pain of divorce, I would think almost all of them, have regrets and wish that this had not worked out this way. And we live then with the problems that our tongues have made for us when we lashed out in anger. Think of, I mentioned the churches, where you get a split, either between the congregation that's divided in two, or even worse and more destructive, when the leadership team are at loggerheads and fighting with one another. There's no unity of direction from the leaders of the church. Happens many times. And of course, that destroys everyone. I know people who were in congregations that split 30 years ago, and they haven't been back to church since. They still will tell you they serve Jesus, but there's no ways they're going to church because of what happened to them in church. Well, I want to encourage you or <laughs> implore you, if you've been through a situation like that, don't give up on God. Because the whole purpose of this chapter is that Jesus wants to fix those things. He wants to deal with our tongues. He wants to help us to bring reconciliation where there has been hurt and hatred. And I just want to encourage you, if you have been through those things, there's only one solution, and it's forgiveness. And even to go and talk to the ones who've hurt you and say, you know what, maybe it was 20 years ago. That was terrible, and I'm so sorry for my part in it. Please forgive me because Jesus has forgiven me, but I want you to forgive me too. Even if it wasn't mostly your fault, and most of us think it wasn't mostly our fault, but we all have a part to play. And the way forward is always through forgiveness. Okay, we read about all the different animals and things that can be controlled. I'm not going to take any more time on that. And I'm not going to talk about the, the destruction of churches. I had an illustration here, which was in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 11 to 12, and 20 to 21. 
and uh, on to 24 and 25. Basically, the church in Corinth was split, and the split was over who was the best preacher. Some followed Paul, some followed Peter, some followed Jesus. They were the real spiritual ones. And their, their followership was dividing the church. There was conflict about who had the, the best discipler or whatever. And it was causing huge division in the church. What a crazy thing to fight about. All of them were gifts to the church, and all of their gifts were different. It's not one's better than the other. Each one of us has got a part to play. Final verse, Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. Out of the stump or the root of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch, the capital B, bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. That's talking about the Holy Spirit with all of these different attributes. He is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. I want to recommend to you today the word of God that James is preaching here and that Jesus and Paul preached and that today I'm preaching. But I want to also recommend that you seek more and more of the Holy Spirit in your life because he is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And he can change all of those things that have been a, a problem in our lives. He is the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. These are the things that we need. Tim, can I hand over to you to close off? Thank you so much. God bless you all. I'd love for Jade to get up, uh, if, if you don't mind. I just wanted uh, to create a kind of a space for all of us to respond in some way to what we just heard. Um, and we've heard a lot, but maybe there's just one thing that sort of, sort of uh, stuck out, something that, that stuck with us, um, that we can't shake, and somehow we, we, don't, we, we know we shouldn't. You know, we want to kind of stay there and, um, and grapple, grapple with it. So maybe this is the kind of time... That that uh, that'd be nice to create for us. So, Jay's going to play. He may very well sing, and you can stand and sing uh, just as we usually do. But if you want to sit as well, and just uh, grapple, grapple with the words that you heard. Maybe write some things down. Even uh, uh, let's do that. But uh, let's just yeah, let's just create that time, and and uh, let me just pray for us as we as we do that in the next couple of moments. God, we thank you for the, your word. Your word, above all, is truth. And, uh, Father, we want to learn more about it, and we want to learn more about you. So, Father, let us take this time to open our hearts and our, and our minds to what we heard and, um, and to respond. Amen.